Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm the very model of a modern major general. That's how I'm doing. How about you? What do you? you know? Oh, let me tell you about it. And then I just insert all of Marcus doing it. No, I'm doing actually quite well. I'm 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 keen to to just dive into all of the meaty material we've got in front of us today. But what about yourself? How are you doing? I I'm feeling very settled. She's feeling settled, everyone. Mm, so yeah. it's going to be very. Unfortunate how unsettling things going to be when we have to remind all of you that we are Yum Yum Podcast, the only Australian Babylon 5 podcast in the entire galaxy. And <laughs> Rachel gets really annoyed that I'm expanding the scope of that. First was the world, now it's a galaxy. Where will we go next? We will have to find out. But we are a science fiction television watching show. We go through episodes of science fiction TV one at a time. We have watched Star Trek Discovery. That is where the name comes from. Do do you mind providing a little bit of context, which is for kings, about Yum Yum? Yeah, I do now. You can do it. Please. Please. As your your husband. See, that's the unique thing about us as a Babylon 5... uh, Podcast. There's so many of them currently, but we're the only uh, husband and wife team. See, we haven't. We are. We're the only husband and wife team. Babylon Five podcast. I think everyone else is friends, which loses. Nothing as good as friendship like marriage. You're my best friend. She, she admitted it. You got. We got that recorded. She admitted it. So keep that in mind as uh, Rachel goes through. Why yum yum? Yum. Yeah. Oh, fuck you. I hate when you make me do this. You're my best friend. It's because Commander Nan D said it in Star Trek Discovery. But what was, what was, what was, give, give us a little bit more of that flavoring, Rachel, because there are some people. She was asked if she wanted to go murder somebody by. A emperor's tyrant who has killed billions of people. Who has killed billions, yeah. She's and destroyed whole planets. Yeah. Um, and, and they wanted to kill the who? The do, do you, antagonist. Do you remember his name? Leland. Um, slash control. Thank you. And Nandi is not a character. She's this thing that they randomly put in one or two episodes. And... It has to be emphasized, really, people. Choose a Barzan. Oh, that's what had to be emphasized. That was what was needing to be emphasized. Now, we are going through Babylon 5, and we are re-watching it. So if you have not seen the series for yourself, we recommend that you do, because we are giving away the details and spoilers and uh, all of that goodness. Now... Could you remind me, Rachel, where we are up to on our journey? I know we're in season four, but I don't have the DVD in front of me. I don't have the little booklet in front of me to read off of. So how can I figure out where we are? I don't have the benefit of being our yumlings listening to this on whatever podcasting host they use and reading the the episode title that we put up. But I I don't have that because I'm in the episode. Help, help. I'm in the episode. I'm trapped in the episode. There's one podcatcher that we support more than any of the others. Oh. 
Patreon. Patreon. Oh, yes. If you join our Patreon, you get a lot of exclusive content that only exists there. You get to hear Rachel delight in talking about Battlestar Galactica or Quantum Leap or Sherlock. Yes, sometimes we talk about not sci-fi things there, although the final season of Sherlock was sure science fiction to me with the levels of bullshit they came up with. Uh, Rachel, what are we watching and talking about? Well, this week we are returning from the TV movie Third Space back into mainstream season four, episode nine, Atonement. Mm. Concerned over her relationship with Sheridan, Mimbari leadership summons Delenn to Minbar. There she enters the exploratory state of the dreaming. And emerges with a truth striking at the heart of Minbar notions of racial purity. Not racial purity. Rachel was so, so moved by that last statement in the DVD description. It was almost a whisper of a delivery, like in a gallery. Wait, Rachel, is our podcast a form of whisper gallery? What a line that was. He, they just casually mm. said, oh, we'll get the Whisper Gallery ready for you. Just, just, yeah, yeah, we're going to get the whisper, with the whisper Gallery. We're just, we're, just, we're just getting that ready for you now, Hey, they Dylan. have a ritual for everything. They do have a ritual for everything. And we have a ritual as well where we go through the history of the particular one we're talking about. And for myself, it is actually quite a surprise for, for, for even me. I have not... Uh, when I first watched this, I remember... You didn't like it. I not only didn't like it, I snoozed. It screams an episode mm-hmm. that you wouldn't like. I fell asleep. I remember snoozing through it. You know it what it is. It takes a lot for you to fall asleep. You know what it is. Like. There were, there's a certain brand of episode like this that existed, mm-hmm. and and even now, where they have these wishy-washy uh, character episodes, and they use some hocus pocus cultural nonsense alien thing to use mm. that. This is the closest mm-hmm. I felt to this being the Bajorans in Deep Space Nine and with their fucking don't... orbs and shit. So I fell asleep during it that first time, and on subsequent rewatches, I never let the gravitas of what was being explored here really hit upon me. Uh, only on the last watch that we had right before this did I really soak it in. And I, 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 a thing of it too is, Delenn is not a favourite character of mine. She's never been a least favourite, but if you if you had to put a gun she's against my head, she's, she's my least favourite ambassador character. And it's not because she's a bad character, but she she just doesn't have that, uh, that, that thing that Gets to me. Evil Kosh is my least favorite. Well, Evil Kosh, he spoke nothing but pure facts, and uh, he spat some cool bars. But you know what I'm talking about. Of our actual proper ambassador <laughs> characters, Delenn's not one of my favorites, and the Minbari are also not a uh, race in or species. No, they're too wanky for you. They're, yeah, they're just too familiar and to me I in want... science fiction television. I have seen versions of Minbari done in other shows, but as people have listened mm-hmm. to our podcast, I have a finer appreciation for them currently as I do with Delenn, mm-hmm. but that, that's been my history with it. I want to add something, which is that f- in my in my recollections, 
it takes an awful lot for you to like flashback episode. Uh, it depends who it's a flashback of, honestly. Yeah, but it, a lot of the time you do not like flashback episodes. Yeah, I personally they're hate... they're usually a crutch. They, well, what I hate more is when you have a compelling story told in the current, in the present, mm. and it's interrupted yeah. by flashbacks. The Lost format, the Orange is the New Black format, many other shows have done it before and after those as well, but I, I, I don't like that specifically. No. That grinds my gears a lot more. Which is not the style of this episode. No, it is not. But you are very particular about flashbacks. I am. I, I have my modes, and if a show, say it's a show, suddenly starts using flashbacks after a certain period of time mm-hmm. in its run, I reject it far more often. It's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why, say, Game of Thrones, I think it's season five opens up oh, God, with a flashback, and the show never did flashbacks before. Everything in its past mm-hmm. was told via characters who had their own yeah. biases, and, and so then, it was, was an unreliable like, We already history. had this information and we, as well. It wasn't just uh, Game of Thrones is an old thing. Uh, it's its own thing, and yes. boy, do I not want to but think about it. I wanted it. to point that out as like that is a prejudice that you bring to this episode, mm. as well as you not liking the Mimbari, you not being a huge fan of Delenn and the cultural stuff that they do. With the Minbari, yeah. As a usually, whole. if Naroon's not there to be the counter yeah, as yeah, the Minbari nah. thing, I'm not as thrilled by them. No, yeah. I'm always like, oh yeah, that episode. That that's that's an odd one, but it's not bad. Is my thinking on atonement a lot of the time? I like how. Your your flashbacks versions of you are very much like a teenage girl being like, oh my god, <laughs> that one was so kooky and weird, like, OMG, so random. Delenn is forced to relive the darkest moment of her past. It's also one of the few episodes thus far, and especially in the context of season four at the moment, that's really on the one character's journey. Yeah, this we is usually, Delenn's story. We usually break up episodes with an A and B plot. Yeah, and, and that, based on the characters involved. This one really does have a good stretch where it's just all Delenn, 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 Delenn. And we haven't had that for at least a very long time. And no. especially in the context of season four, I guess the closest we had was when it was Londo having to assassinate Kataja. We mm. stayed with that for a while. But this is a different type of character yeah. journey. And it's really peeling back mm-hmm. what we understood of Delenn and what she understood yes. of herself. Yeah, and they're playing with... The idea of perspectives in this uh, because, like, she's coming with her own, John's seeing it another way, the guy from the clan seeing it another, Mm -hmm. and it really is highlighting how the Minbari live in the grey. In all of these different ways that subtly layer up the world 
of Minbar. But also that their system is so regimented and they're so pompous. Yes. It and makes a thoroughly broken way of being. How it's no longer serving its function, which is part of why it's broken. Like she disbanded the Great Council because it was no longer serving the needs, but they haven't figured out a new path forward yet because their society has calloused itself Mm. on and around all of these rituals. And it's very much like Dral mentioned in season one, that there's this growing disparity and disdain and they've become mm. a, almost a rudderless society where yeah. are they heading towards it's it's very mm. unknown before they had the strict way of being thanks to our time traveling friends Sinclair knowing the future and ma- making yeah. it so that he can write the textbook on how things will go yeah. we don't Bridging have that it. we're beyond that now yeah. and that comes into play here mm. Before we get into all of the Delen stuff, there is some of those little other pieces yeah. at play on yeah, Babylon 5. There's... And to answer who has YYE in the episode, which is Yum Yum Energy, who exuded Yum Yum, we already have the answer because he's in the very first scene. It's Zach Allen. Zach mm-hmm. Allen is only in the one scene here, and he's yeah. finally... If we don't think about third space, because third space was made later, but it, you know, chronologically is before this, but we finally see him get his uniform. He is now getting the black uniform. Mm-hmm. And just to touch on on just the most simple observations on the him wearing the black uniform, I I always was taken aback that he got one. Because Zach always felt like just the little guy character. Yeah, but he's now the chief. And it so makes, he's yes, one of the command staff, so he should sense. have the uniform. It does make complete sense, but it's one of those but, where my brain just could not no, process it. I get what you mean, because also Zach doesn't see himself that way, and that's part of what that scene is about, is him not wanting to accept the uniform because it means that Garibaldi is gone. He and you is, don't want that. He has his running gag where things don't fit him right. It itches. It's not right in the shoulders. It and looked pretty good, though. It, oh, it does look like, good. But looked, that's, like the that's old what... one didn't. The old one looked like it was uncomfortable, especially mm-hmm. with the padding in the shoulders. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe that... Maybe it wasn't as ill-fitting as it looks and that was the style, but I'm always like... Ugh. Poor Kaniki, poor Zaki. But he he's having there's a bit of fun had here. He's pissing off the Minbari who stab him with a needle and everyone giggles mm-hmm. at his despair and it's a and really Lania, <laughs> Lania trash talks him. In oh yeah, Minbari. yeah, they, they they he fuels them to stab him with a bigger one next time. And mm-hmm. this is a JMS scene in terms of we're having a bit of a light moment here, as well as we're pushing things forward. So Yes, Zach Allen is now the security chief. We've given him the uniform, mm-hmm. which is a visual and, symbol of the change. Yep, and he's not comfortable with it, so he's not comfortable in the uniform, literally, but that's... Thematically or, relevant, yeah, too. But, and, and a history thing, and the fact that 
Lanier is the one guiding him through this change. Very good. Very good. Uh, what I was going to comment on was the tonal shifts, which JMS yeah. is very adept yes. at. Where we started off as a funny little scene. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if Zach Allen, this this schlubby guy, this schmuck security guy, was getting the new black uniform with all of these religious minbara around him, and he's making all these wise jabs at them, and he gets stabbed with needles. Ha ha ha. But then swings over to no Zach's a serious character he has he has the ability of nuance and the reason he is feeling this way is a very very relatable one where he in part like us cannot accept that Garibaldi is no longer the security chief what does that mean surely he will return and does Zach deserve to have this role and Zach what I, I've I've said it many times, but Zach, I really love him in comparison to Garibaldi when it comes to the position of power because he as an individual does not like having power, but that does not stop him from being able to wield it. He does not delight in having power like Garibaldi does. When he is chief of security, there isn't that that edge of superiority that Garibaldi has with it. When Garibaldi's walking around with the badge and the uniform and the gun, he is using it as forms of intimidation to satisfy his own means outside mm. of the law. We've seen that many times over, and, the, yeah. and that's in the text. While Zach, that's not his style. And to see him here at the beginning of the journey proper of him being this position, flinch at it, makes him deeply relatable to me and deeply human. What do you think about just that angle of it when we we start out the scene and it's it's a comedic little little thing of Zack and a uniform that doesn't fit, something we've visited before. But then uh, JMS flips it around to being something uh, deeply, deeply personal and obviously on point for the arc of Zack Allen. Yeah, it is such a pleasant surprise. And I'm always just here for it every time it comes around i'm like he's sad he's sad but he's gonna step up to the plate and it's such a beautiful mix of emotions that are followed through on in this scene i just feel like if i take his uniform i'm admitting the chief's never coming back to his job I wish I could wait a little longer, but the captain says it's important for things to get back to normal, but that won't happen until the chief's back where he belongs. And if Mr. Garibaldi does not take back his job? He will. He will. We have Jakar getting his new eye from Dr. Franklin. It's a short and sweet scene. It sets up a bunch of things that we'll see pay off later down the line with him being able to now remove his eye and it still works. We get a get a wonderfully weird gag with that in uh, the second last episode of the season. But uh, it, and it's just small and sweet and a piece of catching up on Jakar, but I love this scene so much. Andreas Katsoulis really gets to lean into that uh, slapsticky, uh, guffawing, gurning, comedic persona of Jakar of season one again. Yeah, it's a flashback to what Jakar used to be with the sassiness that he's earned through his trauma. 
He doesn't want it to face the wrong way because he's already done a lot of looking into his soul already. I adore that his eye is grainy video footage. That's just awesome. (laughs) And it's a piece of fun business that this episode does a lot of, surprisingly, where there's a lot of uh, playing around with the technicals and having a a bit of fun with it. So them using this grainy uh, videotape footage and this, you know, this handheld camera when we see it, that's really the production having having a time themselves. And they do that at the very end with the credits as well, where we, we get something a little bit different instead of the usual end credits music we get Marcus singing and this episode although has some heavy things in it there's some of that production stuff that's that's them having fun it still does the tonal shifts that you were bringing up before the contrasting the light with the dark and going back and forth that's all through this episode we even get it when we see Ivanova she's got the uh the the sash on again the green drazi sash and Ivanova doesn't get a plot she gets two scenes yep. basically to just say I'm gonna party with the drazi and then we see her after that and she's in a, a lift full uh, full of like unconscious drazi and streamers yeah. and tinsel and she's she's obviously been partying and she's like stumbling out of it hey don't ask about it and uh, one of the things I wanted to to put to you about this with with Ivanova here and and Sheridan and Jakar and all of the human or like uh the the B5 characters mm. uh they they're small and sweet here and because this I, I don't know how to grapple with this of do you think that this is a good way to tell it or do you think this is a, a burden of the times because I wonder if this was made today, would hmm. they even bother having any of those scenes? And uh, would it just be a Delenn scene? Because I think a part of my like part of how I look at the episode is since this was the nineties and it's a weekly thing and not everyone's able to catch up, you ha- and also actors' contracts and stuff, you yeah. have to have them even if it's one or two little scenes. Yeah, what do you think? I was thinking about that sort of thing but in a different realm I was thinking while watching this of the production side of things and the weekly churning nature of production of TV shows at this time Mm. and the fact that like they had to get all of this done and it's so different to what they usually have to do. Like, it's not the normal sets, it's not the normal people, it's pared down, but lots of other things are added as well. And the shift of focus and thinking, oh God, this would have been a bitch to do in weird ways because, like, it looks easier, but it's not. I agree. And. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, like, and we get this bit and we get this bit and we get this bit because of those things, like, they stood out to me as being production things. Like, hmm. we need a Vodava in this a little bit. We're going to touch on Jakar because that scene can slot in here because mm-hmm. we 
primed the audience for that idea a little and, and while having, ago. And having Jakar here allows Franklin to be in the episode and then Franklin can yeah. be in the episode a bit more than mm-hmm. if he was just in a random meeting scene. Yeah, so it's like setting him up and his role within the station and the his kind of sense of humour, which is really important heading into the next few episodes. I... Well, you know what it is, uh, people, you can call me nostalgic and rose-tinted glasses or just being swayed by this being the television I grew up with, but I actually prefer this. I actually prefer this a lot more than the episodes where it is solely just the one character's journeys. Uh, Look, if you can make those things work, make them work. Babylon 5 will do that later with uh, Sheridan being interrogated for a whole episode. And there's many episodes of TVs where it's like the bottle episodes or really self-contained stories. But to, to, to my overall enjoyment of especially an ensemble-driven series, having even one or two little moments that touch base or add a little bit of levity or flavor to characters really helps enriches the experience for me. This has a one-scene thing of Zach Allen, and yet I would say it's one of the most pivotal Zach Allen scenes for me in the show thus far, but it's only just one little scene. It's not like he has a whole storyline in this episode to justify his appearance. And for, for, for you, Rachel, you're also a big fan of ensemble-driven shows, and we always bring up, like, you like Gilmore Girls, say. Like, how many episodes of Gilmore Girls is, uh, uh, what's his name, Michelle in? He's like in every episode, yeah. right? But does he need to be in every episode? No. But having him just in even just one scene, doesn't yeah. that add to the overall mm-hmm. enjoyment of the show, of this lived-in thing? Yeah. Like, that's a show where it's like everyone says the town feels alive and yeah. real. That's part of what makes ensemble shows good, is that you have your main characters and they're the main parts of the dish. But you want those extra side characters because they're the seasoning. They enhance the flavor of the other elements or they provide contrast or they provide a transition Mm. and you need them for it to feel like a whole world. Chicago? Well, because the eye was made for humans, not Narns, I had to make some temporary adjustments for it to work. It's not my proper color! Well, I can take care of that. We'll continue to adjust it over the next couple of weeks as you get used to it. Now, the important thing is that it works. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Sheridan is going through a lot in the episode. Delenn is having to be called away to Minbar, and he doesn't get to understand why. He doesn't get to know why, but he knows that it's deeply important to Delenn that she must do this, but more, more but more so, she must be with him before she leaves. That their relationship, yes, they're engaged, and yes, they've been dating a lot, but and they've kissed, but the certain things on her end of it need to be completed before she leaves. And we get that I mean it's a it's a funny scene, it's a sexy scene, but also a deeply uh, grounded scene as well by the end of it, of when he walks into her quarters and she's in the sexy dress, 
and it's amusing to begin with. Bruce Boxleitner does the double take and the mouth open and his eyes bug out and she's you know just standing there amused by it all. But it, it does transition. This episode's all about those transitions of tones mm. and the scenes themselves and the motifs transition to a deeply... A uh, deeply passionate and subdued relationship scene where we're having to see yeah. these two have a mature conversation where they can't fully say the things out loud, but we both know what it is. Like we as viewers and them as characters know what's what's being said in this. Uh, as a as a big shipper of Delenn and John, uh, do you want to talk through your feelings on this scene overall and uh, how they handle? this obstacle as a couple he has complete trust in her now which is an interesting point to have them in because of like the things that they've gone through and the way that he left her before he went to zaha Doom and that kind of test on their relationship and the way that she responds to it after he gets back of being like i'm going to be honest with you from now on like i i di- i did this thing by default because that's the minbari way but it may have cost me our relationship and that isn't worth it right that's that's where we left off with her Mm. and that has regressed she's not being open she's not being honest she's hiding the truth from him for the sake of her people the same way that she did when it came to anna Mm. So it feels a little bit like, oh, didn't you learn your lesson last time? And then it just gets worse when you realize that she never, never says anything about this to him in the show. Doesn't mention the dreaming. Doesn't mention... Starting the war. Doesn't mention the DNA. Being related to his... uh, his, Good dear friend Sinclair, yeah. It doesn't mention any of this. And it's very in character at the same time. But when you think about the continuity of it, you're like, didn't she move past this? Why doesn't she give him anything? Even he says, like, oh, you're not going to tell me. And she's like, no. One of the things that I was really uh, keeping an eye on in this one, because I've been feeling it the last couple, and I also think about it when we go forward, is their uh, reactions when the other one isn't around. So Delenn, when she's away from John, she isn't clouded by that. Whenever she's away, she's doing whatever she has to do, she is focused on that thing. But when it's the other way around, when John is uh, either away from her or she's gone off, he cannot separate that investment in their relationship as easily. Throughout this story, 
we see because John is a character who uh who wears his feelings on his sleeve. You can read him very easily. So throughout this, he snaps into hardcore captain mode and I'm going to take it out on Earth and we're going to fight back and we're going to do this. And he's got that extra level of drive because of what's happening with him and Delenn, with her being away. Yeah. He cannot work in the same way without her anymore just like how he was at the start of the sea with season two when he first came in about his wife being dead and how yeah. he cannot process Mm-mm. that in the ways that uh uh that delen can say where she can have that level of separation and i think that also ties heavily into delen being a person who can keep secrets in the relationship john can't john really can't do that no and no he's I, his idea of connection and love is a hundred percent sharing your life with somebody and all of the walls falling away. Delenn doesn't see it that way. Mm. She still protects part of herself sort of the most Minbari parts of herself, she refuses to let him see into. Mm. Do you, what do do you think about keeping secrets or holding back information in a, when you're in a long-term committed relationship? What do you think about that? I am like, I can only speak for me and our relationship. Obviously, fictional characters are a whole different thing, but I think that's where you want me to answer from, right? Whatever you feel. Okay. Um, I personally just don't have the energy for secrets, and I forget if I lie about things, so I fail at it. <laughs> well, you don't have anything as, as gargantuan as some of the secrets she's holding on to. No, no. Like, there were things that I definitely held back on telling you until we were deeper into our relationship or and some things where I'm like, ah, oh, have I not told you about this traumatic thing? Whoopsies. Yeah, I'm also on a similar page. There's, that's not how I would operate in a relationship. But I know many people, uh, I think as do you, whose relationships, whether it is of a romantic nature like this or, say, you know, parental or, mm. or familiar or platonic, yeah. there are many like this. So when Delenn doesn't tell him and he knows that he's not being told but mm-hmm. he looks at it as a coy little fun thing in their yeah, relationship or like that's something i, I have know, seen so i trust often. your intentions well enough to know that you're keeping this from from me for a good reason and when the time is right you might tell me or i might not never i might not ever know but there's still that trust in them, the idea of them working together and an acceptance and an acknowledgement. So mm. it's an 
open thing that there is a secret, but there is, the secret is still there. And I think that that's a massive difference. If she tried to hide that she was going to Minbar at all. That would be different. That would be very different, right? Uh, yes. And the fact that she will answer his questions without revealing the truth is also something that's very different because she's saying she's putting up that boundary and he's respecting that boundary and Mm. knowing that it won't be something as damaging as hiding that his wife might still be alive. Yes, and this is her past that she is having to confront. This is her uh, flaws and faults and worries and mistakes that she's having to contend with, having to really look at. And I do think it would have been interesting what it would have been like Mm. for John to find out these revelations, but... At the end of the day, I also don't disbelieve it because this is very in line with her character of the Minbari culture in general. Absolutely. But also, there are some relationships that are very much like this where when it comes to those boundaries and those things that are closed off, and I don't necessarily think that's how I would operate a relationship, but it is how some are. And Babylon 5 has to keep its uh, uh, diversity of characters, stories, and relationships. So them having a relationship like this is different to the relationship that Avonova and Marcus is forming, or the relationship, and we can go on, right, of all of the other romantic or platonic or whatever. They, they, they all have a different uh, dynamic to them, and that's what makes the show feel so large. Everything's fine now. Aha. Uh-huh. And you're still not going to tell me what it was, are you? Talking about relationships, we just have to mm-hmm. talk about it. Marcus and Franklin are paired together at the, and in this. Cuties. Oh yeah, Sheridan needs them to go to Mars. That will be important for the next episode. But we we do end this one on Marcus and Franklin's dynamic being solidified, and it is Marcus is annoying and sh- uh, and and Franklin hates it. Franklin wants to die. Franklin really loathes it. And I I look, Marcus sings at the end of this. He threatens to sing and then he does and then we get it at the end of the credits. And even when I first went through this, being a Marcus hater, everyone if you've listened to this uh podcast before, I have been on record as being a Marcus Marcus hater in the past, but even on my first watch, I loved this because they threatened something and then actually delivered on that. Because they threaten you with him singing. They, he says it. You go, oh, no, no. But if they're going to do that, I'm always of the rule of thumb of if they're going to say that they, 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 that's an option, I'd rather them do the option and commit to it. And they do. He sings and you just see Franklin want to kill himself and be out of there and just regret all of his life choices leading up to this moment. 
and then we get the song, uh, Modern Major General, all of that, over the end credits, and eventually people just break down and start laughing, and it's really adorable. I've always been a big fan of it. I can understand why people could loathe this, think this is awful, cringe, dare say, but I'm very much of the rule of thumb of, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna wave this over my nose, I want to be fed. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you want to see them follow through on it, especially the way that like we cut to them. It would be really disappointing if they didn't do it, and you would like being like, "Oh, can they not even fucking afford something for him to sing?" When you see them two at the end and they're bickering mm, back and forth, is, that, is this really the best ship? It is one of the go-to examples I have of a show mm. giving me a duo that I didn't yeah. think I wanted. But as soon as I pro- saw this, because I didn't really get this feeling as much from Exogenesis, but this was the mm. th- this here them being strapped in and the boxes floating around and him you know, closing and opening his his pike and all of that. I salivated going this is the best duo ever this is is the duo that you want fanfic of this is the abbott and costello of the show this is the comedy duo Mm -hmm. the silly one the stern one and i am very much a fan i can't wait to talk about uh racing mars because it's it's a lot of them together and they have great chemistry and uh, uh really great actors working off one another some great actors working off one another in atonement, and it's what really carries the story, carries a lot yeah. of the weight here is Mira and and uh, Bill Moomy. You know, Mira Flan and Bill Moomy are... Excellent. They are so in their characters and they know who they are and we get this sense of evolution of the both of them that they both come out of this different than they went in and it's not in a massive extravagant way it's they've both grown and they both see each other and themselves in a different light now that they went through the process of the dreaming together and I really appreciate the artistry of that in terms of the writing because it's such a good way for JMS to get to do character development in the constraints of 90s TV. Oh, yes. But even more so, the shifts in the performance of those two actors is from the start to the end like Delenn greening the Minbari who have come to collect her to her being greeted by John at the end there's a difference in the way that she carries herself I was going to comment about that the carrying themselves both Mira and Bill uh, were very good at chewing through the JMS speeches, the exposition, the lore, the themes, the dialogue. 
But what I really, really, really was drawn to in this was the expressions on their faces, the communication to one another with their eyes and their body language. My favorite scene in terms of the acting alone on the episode was actually when she was about to leave on Babylon 5 and he was there waiting for her. Ah. And the body language of him Mm -hmm. when he sees her and how he shifts in his chair to this level of both excitement and disappointment. And that's from Bill's performance physically rather than just the dialogue telling me. And him reaching out his hand, it's a really well-framed shot, and how they have grown so much from the days of Mm -hmm. where he started. And that's reflected when we see her relationship with Ducard. But really, the body language, the facial expressions, the eyes, Mira has to pull off something that's very difficult, which is remembering scenes that happened in the episode where she's laying in the bed and she's remembering her things from the dreaming and she's just reacting with her face it can be such a misfire a misfire easily if 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 directed in the wrong way it's a it's a beautiful relationship between the director overdo it and the actor or underdo it and but, so she really strikes that balance and i really adored her in that way again could be a failure in another person's hands, but she actually got me leaning in my seat going, figure it out, figure it out. Yeah, you figured it out. See, I was trying to interrupt you before that because I wanted to bring up my favorite moment of them interacting with each other, which was when they get pulled out of the dreaming and you get the sense that it wasn't actually done through the way that she reacts of like, no, I think there's something else going on here. Uh, but the moment that I just adored, I just adored, was her looking at Linnea and Linnea going, like having this look in her his eyes, a look in his eyes, and acknowledging that this isn't over but now isn't the time to fight mm. and nodding and then they leave. There's so much meaning packed into those little choices and it's a pleasure to see. This, and I don't mean to bring the mood down or to 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 leave a poo on the floor, but this is one of the moments where you can tell Bill Moomy does not play it the way that JMS is intending Lania to be. Yeah. Because I tried to think about Lania's little Angie incel, I'm actually in love with Delenn for creepy boy reasons and Sheridan sucks and I want to mm-hmm. undermine their relationship. I tried to look at it the way that JMS has, put, has been putting it down and will in the future but Bill Moomy doesn't play it that way because Bill no. Moomy doesn't believe Linnea to be that way. No, and Bill like- Moomy has been believing in this certain way Linnea should be since the very beginning. He's consistent in his performance. Yes. And I'm not slamming him at all. No. This is an episode where I didn't think about it. It didn't enter my mind, but I had to write it in my notes because 
someone will message us and go, come on, guys, don't you think about Lanier being in love with her, being the driver? No, actually. I think it's one of deep friendship and respect, her being his mentor figure. Like, I know that it's there, but... He does love her. Yeah. Because he... And he has such a deep bond with her. But I believe Lanier, in a way, when he does say, back when he revealed that secret of, like, it's it's not love in the way that you think of it. It's a higher love, a purer love. I, I think that that's bullshit. But I do think that it's a... It's not a romantic, motivated love. Uh, I am disappointed now yeah. because I've been trying to be uh, more positive towards the notion of the you know shitty incel linear in the series. <laughs> it's and just I've been defending it a little annoying. bit more, but this is one where I just go, I really, really am not down with. The fact that we can't just have a positive male female friendship and no, respect like in the show. We just can't to, have that. We we, we like, have to remove that with these. We have to add what some agenda to it. And not, I I didn't I don't need what it. What do you mean it's not sexual in any way and never has been? I don't need it. This I was don't an episode need it where the episode, it didn't exist in my brain because it's so unneeded. It no, does not add any flavor to it. And if I, do, if I, I do put it there, it retracts in, from my enjoyment. What I believe, Dan, is that he is committed to being by her side. My place is at your side, Delenn. Not tonight. Always. If you go, you will learn things about me that may change your opinion of me. Delenn, I have pledged myself to your side. Come fire or storm or darkness or death. Can understanding be a greater danger? In this case, yes. Delenn has been called back to Minbar because people don't believe in the strength and the convictions and the motivations of her relationship with John at all. And... I think that's a He's an icky human. That's a damn good reason. That's a damn good Yeah, and that's and all of that damn good idea for a plot. Yes. We we haven't we haven't had uh Delenn's repercussions with the (laughs) Minbari culture since Naroon and Grey Seventeen is missing. Yeah. We haven't really gotten it seemed like he was a rogue agent in that, where he was the one who's like, I am willing to kill you to stop you. They will die for you. And not for me. And we're coming back to a lot of the unsettling things about Minbari culture, this desire for purity and following tradition and having to abide by codes and customs. Triangles everywhere, triangles everywhere. And as people who love John and Delenn's uh, relationship, it was never in doubt that she'll overcome it and it'll be all good. No, it's like, but what's on the journey like, what's going to get in her way from them not accepting it to them accepting it? And will mm. that journey, how much of that journey will be completed within this one episode? I like that we, the audience, don't doubt that the relationship will continue and succeed, but that it's actually more important to understand 
why she's in a relationship with John. Yeah. Why is she in a relationship with this guy? Why is her heart drawn to him? And what about her life before has molded this relationship into being? Because she is very much of, it's the heart, it's the heart. But Yeah, the heart wants what the, the heart, heart wants. wants. But perhaps there's more than just what the heart wants in there. Or and what is leading the heart? Is it guilt? And that is what we are going down the road of when she has to do this dreaming ceremony where she drinks some funky, funky stuff and has a psychedelic trip flashback to her younger days. And wow, I completely forgot how how uh, different Mirafalan played Delen when she was in the full makeup, huh? Yes. Because we get that taste of not only what she was like in season one, but a younger version of Delenn. Delenn, who's a little bit more like what Lanier is like. Yes, but- and the reusing of the lines. and uh, oh, It's so it's so cute. But I, I really appreciate the lengths that they go to in the whole show and within this episode to i keep on i keep on saying this cuz it's just true layers of characters layers of meaning and building up the world in the, these small ways and showing us the world when you have a flashback a part of the reason as to why is to Show us how different the character mm-hmm. is now, or perhaps how the character has always been like this. And what this flashback structure does here is basically achieve all of the things where we see how different Delenn was, how innocent was she was, but how she grew into the person we knew her to be in the first season, oh. and to show us how there are those traits within her that were always there that drive her to this day, and the ones that are now gone or have now shifted into something else. And so when we see young Delenn, yeah, it's cool to see Mira in the makeup again and to see how alien she plays Delenn, but also childlike. But what I really adored was how the convictions of the character are both concrete, very, very much cemented and has always been like that, but has adapted and changed over time. And we went from the days where she was the one who had almost sinister intents in her actions to now being this person who is very much driven by doing the right thing more openly. And yeah. we get that really contrasted when she is talking to Ducat. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We get to see that evolution of her and seeing the reasons behind some of that development that we didn't get before. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to watch it unfold and for you to, as an audience member, really connect with the way that Delenn is feeling about being confronted by her past. And, like, I was thinking about this because Trashy Me was watching the 
new edition of the Billie Eilish yearly interview. Oh, okay. And she was talking in that about how it's like she's interacting with these different versions of herself and how it's really weird but you really want to, like, shake or even choke your younger self for, like, just being so dumb or stupid. It's just like, oh, God, or so pretentious Well, and in, as well. And that, yeah. like, that's almost – that's very similar to some of the emotions that we see Delenn have of – the regret and the frustrations that she has towards her younger self, but also a sense of her being envious of the naivety that her younger self has because Mm. she knows what the loss of Ducat did to her and did to her people. Oh, yes. I was actually thinking how Delenn is a wonderful inverse of Londo in this regard, where Londo uses the failings of his younger days to justify his cruelty and apathy and uh, tyranny and whatever else currently. And you can see Delenn almost do the same thing but she actually does the opposite she she learns from them so in her younger days she made this mistake this she made this choice and she regretted it in the moment actually fought against it but then over time accepted it and the guilt has solidified into something that is just a, a matter of fact just like how Londo does with his life but in this episode we see how she does not just accept that guilt as just a matter of fact anymore. She uses that and turns it into something more positive and helps herself grow as a person, while Londo uses it to trap himself each time and make himself worse as it a person. It changes from a regret to a motivation mm. in a very different way because, like, Regret can be a motivating factor, and for Londo and Delenn, at various points it is, but Delenn moves to the point where she uses that regret as motivation to move forward and to the future, whereas Londo sees it as trying to get back to the past and Mm. to recapture that. Londo is a man who pities himself, while Delenn is a person who feels actual sorrow, and that oh, is like a you real big difference. Feel the deep well of emotion that Mira is drawing on when she's talking about how she spent the last ten years trying to undo the damage mm. that she caused from that moment, and the same um like same thing being drawn on when she reacts to her words being parroted back to her by the minbari being like we've told the people at mm. home no mercy yeah and she's just like oh my god i've done this oh my god yeah and i i i, I love I love the detail 
that she was like barely in the Grey Council when that happened. She was fresh. Yeah. She was fresh meat. And she was the deciding vote. When she was also the outsider in many different ways. Also, just because she's freshly joined them, but also Ducat used her as a tool to piss them off. I we're, We've circled around it, but let's just talk directly. Delenn was the deciding vote for the Minbari War. The humans misunderstood. We know this. They killed Dukat. We knew that Delenn was there. We knew that from the second episode. We knew that from Soul Hunter. We did not know this. And we have mentioned it briefly on other episodes, like and the Sky Full of Stars, where she and Franklin had a discussion about what they got up to in the Minbari War, and she didn't talk about what she got up to. <laughs> That's a story for another time. And we got it. We finally yep. got that story. And but- I know our friend Bartek really talked about this, but it's a real truth. It's a truth for me, and I know it's for many people. This is a revelation that it makes complete sense. It's not only one that makes complete sense, but it is dramatically satisfying to throw such dirt, such blood and mud onto this character who at this point is probably one of the most morally pure we know. That That alone is great. But I really didn't see this coming. This is one of those... Uh, reveals where it knocked me off my seat once I actually let it. It's one of those where I really was aghast at the fact that, oh, Delenn, Delenn did this. Wow, it is just one that... The show could have never revealed this, and uh, it, you yeah, know you wouldn't have thought about it. But once it does, it really changes to her everything. Talking with Jakar and being like, we let this happen to mm-hmm. your world. And also when she talked to Jakar about how she can't, the Minbari cannot get embroiled in another war of anger and emotions. And for for yourself, what has been your overall reactions to this dramatic piece of backstory? I fucking love it. I fucking love it because it adds such a darkness to Delenn and it adds a power to her as well because like i was thinking about this when she was telling earth to fuck off being like the only person that destroyed a mimbari warship is behind me and you're in front of me it's just like yeah she could fuck you up she's the reason that you got so fucked up before and you don't even know it you don't even know how much power this woman yields and if you get on her yeah if you get on her bad side if you kill the people that she loves she will destroy you with yes. no mercy and how much she is scared by the rage that's inside of her because the Minbari so carefully try and control themselves. And it's not in a Vulcan way of suppressing those emotions. It's much more about directing those emotions and controlling who sees them and how much you let them weigh in 
in your decisions. But in that moment, she was unchecked. And she made a decision that she deeply regrets. And that fuels her so much. And it continues, like, that power, that decision continues to cast a light on Delenn's character as we move forward. And it shines it from the past, where when we are revisiting, it is something that makes Delenn far more uh, 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 of a character that I want to look at and engage with, because when you have this knowledge it really fills in fills mm-hmm. in a lot of things that were left Which blank. Links nicely to one of Duc. I love pretty much everything that Ducat says. Ducat it, was great, wasn't he? I uh, like. I love pretty much every single line that he has, and one of them is the dreaming takes us forward and the dreaming takes us back, mm. and that is so important for Delenn because it's taking her back to these memories in her life and it's pushing her forward in her characterization and her journey, but not in a way that she was expecting because she wasn't, she wasn't ready to confront herself. She didn't want to do this. She wanted to avoid it. And she's, mm. we get the feeling that she's been invo- avoiding it for a while. And they, her clan is finally like, no, bitch, we're dealing with this. You've taken it too far. Well, that's her character. And right? we're going to put a stop to it. And now she's just like, ha ha. Joke's on you. I found a loophole. Well, I found uh, a, an important piece of information that would could you like really me to get what I want or destroy forever. our society? Ooh. Do I get what I want or is your world going to be destroyed? What, what we're saying uh, is, hi. what we're saying is, in a roundabout way, is Delenn is a badass bitch, and you don't mess with her. If I'm not pure Minbari, it doesn't matter if I marry Sheridan. My children will never be pure Minbari either way. So there is nothing to lose. No, Delenn, I beg of you. If others knew of this, it would cause great confusion. It must remain secret for the good of everyone. You demand it. I show you a reason. I have done so. We see the start of the war, and I really have appreciated... uh, through our podcasting experience, how JMS has given us the complete perspectives formed of the inciting incident of the war. We found out from the Soul Hunters, we found out from this, this, Mm -hmm. this, all these different angles, all these different ways of looking at it, and we have the full picture of it. And Mm. it's been sprinkled across four seasons when it could have easily just been summed up in the the opening title monologue in season one about this Earth Minbari war. But we've kept hearing about this moment where Dukata died, this great leader, the greatest Minbari guy ever, and he got killed because the humans were ignorant and didn't understand and they fired first. And 
and uh, all of the bloodshed that happened from there. But, oh, man, we really got the final puzzle piece here that just makes the Minbari War a thing that we never got to see on the screen as an actual event until Mm. in the beginning. Something that really has great amount of substantial weight behind it. Yes rather than just a thing that was in the past that happened and it makes some of our characters have reasonings for interacting with other characters a certain way. Yeah. I want to talk about Delenn's secret reveal, her history, her lineage. She is a... A child of Valen. Valen. And And they are... As I've stated, I have not been the biggest lover of this episode in the past. I'm not the biggest lover of the Minbari in general. But this has always been one of those reveals where I go, okay. Okay. That's that's cool. I don't know how that really uh, influences me looking at this character going forward or looking back on it. And in all honesty... I like the reveal a lot more on this watch, but I still feel the same. I still feel like this doesn't really shift how I look at Delenn any, or even Sinclair. Like, it's good to know that Sinclair had children and it affected he the Minbari culture. After. And that's more interesting, but Delenn specifically being this special chosen one who was put there for a reason because she happens to be related to Jesus is one of those things where I've either reacted to it with meh or I've just not cared for it because I don't need to Delenn to have this extra reason for being a special chosen one. No. She's already the one who's fulfilling a prophecy. But on this watch, I, I will be honest, I, I found it far more something... Uh, I found it to be Intriguing? something... Intriguing? I that swayed me more on this mm. watch. I think it ties in nicely with her journey of n- being a person between two worlds, being yeah. between two cultures. Yeah. That even before her transformation, she was a person who was both human and Minbari to begin yeah, with. Yeah, she just wasn't it outwardly. She didn't know it either on a knowledge level, but subconsciously she she had an inkling towards this. And I think that on the overall arc of Delenn and the Minbari's humans merging together, I'm okay with that. For you, what are you? What have? What has been your overall reactions to this? Because that's the thing. The whole episode is like, you have a dark secret in your past, and it's like, oh, it's, she started the war, and even the episode's like, nah, it's not yeah. that. Do you think that's pretty big? Not that though. No, I'm always like, oh yeah, that. Okay, that's it. Like, it doesn't really factor into anything more for me. Other than it's just like, wonder if Sinclair ever found out or ever figured out. I wouldn't think so. No, because it's just like, well, if he had three kids and all of those three kids had kids of their own, then he would, like, his DNA would be really spread throughout because that's just how we don't know how many kids work. we don't know how many kids he had right no, like Valen, no, no. Valen, well we know Sinclair Fox 
And I'm sure the 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 yeah. book the book that JMS's wife wrote gets into it because I know yeah. that's an explanation of what happened to Catherine. It, but yeah, like I I'm just like, well, yeah, okay. Like it it doesn't take that many kids to like get that many descendants. But he corrupted. A he corrupted of... the gene pool. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. That. If it's one of those reveals where they even say it in the episode, but it's one of those where you have to really sit and think about how the whole Minbari soul thing mm. being something that was really pushed yeah. by Valen is about how he interrupts their flow of DNA and mixes it with human DNA, and human DNA is the spark of the Minbari soul. And so when the war is something that ends and they do that by mm. testing if the humans have Minbari souls yeah. and they find Sinclair, the guy who's programmed with the DNA, but also it's he is his human. It's triluminary. It's his triluminary and he is a human, so it's going to ping yeah. off anyway. It's It's weird to me how... I don't know how to feel about it in terms of... JMS has been on the record as being an atheist, but he's very respectful of faith and of religion. Uh, even in his in his science fiction series Babylon Five, we've had some really great ones about that. But here, I really do scratch my head, going, "I don't know if I like this or not," because it has a rather cynical streak to me. That uh, what was once left ambiguous of like. Well, they believe souls exist. Now it's coming in being like, no, no, it's not souls. Minbaris have been tricked by this by time travel nonsense, and it's actually human DNA, you see. There's like a scientific reason now for the soul thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not something that I dwell on, though. I'm like, yeah, it's not great. It does its thing. It has its purpose. But it's not something that drags it down for me. I also love it sometimes because I do love how just we have really been leaning into the Minbari being the religious race. The religious race. But they are children of the Vorlons in yeah, a way who manipulated been, them. They've been manipulated and just like, like Earth has with the tele like everyone with the telepaths say. Yeah. They've been manipulated too by being these people who have been played in this chess game. Yeah. And Valen was one of the pieces used in that game. Yeah. It, it's very symbolic that Valen appears flanked by two Vorlons. Human DNA entered into our race. And over a thousand years, how many of our people carry his legacy? They cannot be counted. I'm turning on the spotlight. The spotlight is the part of our podcast where we so look at, look at an actor or actress. Good. Rachel made a movie reference that time. I was like, Kira Knightley wasn't in Spotlight. Michael Keaton was. Uh, no, and but she wasn't in Atonement. Adams? Yeah, I got it. 
I got your reference. <laughs> We're looking at an actor or actress that appeared in the episode, big role, small role, one-off, minor, recurring, or main. We go over their performance, their character, what we think of them overall, their careers, any interesting pieces of trivia we have learned, and we have to talk about the man himself, the actor behind the performance of Ducat, because we haven't talked about Ducat that much during it. He's just been sprinkled in, and we're talking about the actor Rainer Schona. He is a German actor, so we will do our best to try and pronounce the name right. <laughs> he even has the umlauts above the O. Now, he is Ducat, and Ducat is this elusive figure that has been mentioned throughout the series, and the biggest compliment I can give to the actor is he goes above and beyond the expectations I would have had for the character and the amount of hype. He fills the space that's left by Ducat and it, it that is such a hard thing to do and he does it with ease. It amazes me every time because I'm like, this is the first time that we see him and he feels so fully formed and he feels like he belongs absolutely. The actor is a is a big guy. He's six foot four and a half. He's tall. And you see that on the screen. He takes up a lot of physical space. He's also a person that uh, clearly has a large amount of energy as well, but he has to be subdued because he's the Minbari. He's a great religious Minbari. But Dukat as a character, you can tell he's a man with giddy energy underneath all of that. But he has to maintain that certain air. Yeah. It's even emphasized in the discussion he has with Delenn after he has put her in the council. And he's still going to abide by the council's decision. But his mentality is, uh, you know, I don't use authority to pe- beat people over the head with it like it's a club, uh, but I'm going to listen to them. Although I did this to show them the truth that was there. So the truth that should be out in the open. And that's very much the embodiment of the character that the actor is putting down. I really love this performance. He is truly spectacular. He really steps up to the plate to be the most... Minbari guy, the greatest of them all. This has been a guy that they've built up to for four whole seasons, and I, I'm actually in awe of the fact that they actually got an actor who managed to nail it so yep. well. It's so impressive. Well, now. Uh, he does reappear in the In the Beginning movie, so this will not be the last time we see him, and we'll see more of him in uh, that. Was there a favourite moment for you in terms of his character or performance that we were given in Atonement? Like I said, I love pretty much every single line this character is given. I love the sentiment of, like, I do not like to use authority as a club and like it, the fact that the line that Delenn had for Lanier way back was what she was told. I can't have uh, 
and, and age, age who the... can't look up. Yeah. They'll always be yeah. walking into things. Yeah. Yeah. That's really That's good. so sweet. But the one that really, really stood out to me because I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a sick burn for the Mimbari to use some chuggy language myself. Whoa, Rachel said chuggy. Write that down, everyone. We got it on record. Mm-hmm. It's recorded. When he says the to the council, you are so smug in your complacency. He nailed them. He got their ass. Uh, he is a German actor, as stated, so a lot of his work, according to INDB and Wikipedia, oh. is obviously German television and film. Can I can I read the start of his bio before we get into that? Of course. A a tall German actor with a constant villainous and cunning gaze in his eyes is mm. Rainer Schoner. He he I can definitely see that, but here he really brought a warmth, yes. wisdom. But I have seen him in other roles where he really does have that. He has He's a striking acting. goatee. Which, uh, Minbari facial hair, update, pro or against? Uh, yeah. His works. His works? His works. His works, hear that? So, so Giles didn't work. Or Colleen. Mm. Colleen's didn't work. I, yeah. I hated Colleen's. Colleen! I, I love his goatee. I looked up pictures of the actor and I think 95% of the pictures is him with a goatee or a goatee-esque facial hair thing going on. He, he knows his look. He knows that style, and he's going to keep on using it. Now, he's done a lot of German television and film, which means we haven't seen a lot of his work, but that doesn't mean we haven't seen any of his work. Are there things that you're familiar with when it comes to him? Were there anything? Was there anything in his uh, roster that you went, ah, he was that guy? TNG. Do you remember him in TNG? No. Did, did you look it up? I was like, oh, he was in prosthetics. He was. He's actually in a really fun episode where Picard gets kidnapped by these aliens and put into a little alien think tank group, and Picard has been replaced. Yeah, that one. Uh, and this yes, guy yes, is yes, the yes, big, yes. snarling, angry warrior alien guy. And yes, with a face like that, he does get put in prosthetic makeup a lot. Not always, but a good portion yeah. of the time when you shove him in a Western thing in particular. He was in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He didn't have mm-hmm. makeup there, but he was made to look evil, wizardy. Yeah. And that's his IMDb p- picture, by the way, if you want to have that. But yes, he was in TNG as a snarling beast man. Uh, was there anything else for you, or was it just the Star Trek? Murder, she wrote. Murder, she wrote. We come back to Murder, she wrote. Something JMS obviously worked on in the past, yep. not when this actor was on. And he was also on Jake and the Fat Man, another series that gets a lot of players yeah, uh, onto Babylon 5. Uh, MacGyver is a classic one. Matlock, of course. Now, science fiction related, he was in two or three episodes of Sliders. Um, a show that you have acknowledged uh, I ha- before. I have acknowledged before. I know our dear friend Ben from the Last Best Babylon 5 podcast is a big fan of Sliders, of Sliders, even though it's a show that you can't say is good because it becomes very bad for a long period of time. But uh, some other notes, uh, like I said, he's in Sliders, Matlock, MacGyver, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
when we look at his IMDb, there are some roles that are not on there because they're German exclusive yeah. and voice acting exclusive. He's done some dub work. He's done some voice work. Uh, the two that I noted down in terms of dubs are Star Wars in the third Revenge episode. of the Sith. Yes, he was the voice of Darth Vader. Wow, why? <laughs> I mean, cool. That's that's really cool. But yeah, voice of Darth Vader. So he got to do the no, yeah. which would have been a loud nine. And then he also got to be Optimus Prime and I think it was three of the Transformer movies. Yes, he was Optimus Prime from Transformers 2007 and in the uh, three sequels after that. So f- four Transformers movies. I don't know how many there are at this point. I think there's I, four or five. I don't care. But in no. Germany, he was that. Another, he did the voice of Peter Fonda's character in Easy Rider. Yeah. So he is a guy that has a, a bunch of German dubbing work for video games, movies, shows, and I think that's he really cool. is an actor that works in a lot of different arenas. We've just mentioned... Numerous of them. But he does more, Ryan. He can't be stopped. He does more. I watched an interview with him and it was like 40 minutes long and it was just about all these ludicrous amount of things he does. It's, look, Rachel will get into it, but uh, a guitar got used in the interview. So that kind of gives away (laughs) a little bit of the things he gets up to as well. Yeah. So he can also sing and play instruments. So he's done an album or two. He's like a Theodore Theodore Bakel. Remember when we found out about Theodore yeah, yeah, Bakel yeah. and how he had like a large musical background? Because mm-hmm. this guy, as you said, has an album, some blues stuff on there, some folk yeah. songs. And then he also like like does features on other people's stuff. I listened to one where it was very classically German techno pop kind of thing. Amazing. Can you imagine Ducat on your German techno pop on your Kraftwerk type music? Truly a dream. Has been in numerous German versions of hit musicals, Mm. including Hair. He was a lead in both Hair and he was Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ Superstar. Now, uh, we listened to some of the the Hair German soundtrack, which is available on uh, Spotify, at least, the 1968 production, I do believe, Germany. And you can tell it's him. Yeah. Even in German, I'm like, oh, that's Ducat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't listened to the Jesus Christ Superstar one, but I can see him playing a Jesus. Yeah. I, I Outside of, uh, I mean, he has a facial hair. And there's one other thing that I want to note, because I am sad that I don't know German, so I can't properly engage with this. Mm. He is in a horror comedy audio drama. That sounds amazing. Uh, And the title translates to Jack Slaughter, Daughter of the Light. And the radio play series 
um, is about a demon hunter called Jack Slaughter. Truly amazing. I love this. This He is a guy that, of course, will appear in audio dramas. He'll be doing music, theater shows, TV spots, ads. Yep. He's doing it all. You do he know. Lived, he worked in America from like yeah. the early 90s to the early back. 2000s. Like yeah. in 2002 or something, he went back to Germany. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, I haven't found out exactly, mm. but I want to know why. He went to America for that decade and then left because he seemed to have a very uh, successful career in Germany. And then he yeah. went to America for he a bit. He wanted to break out in Hollywood and I guess. either it didn't work out or he decided that he wanted to go back home. But he's definitely one of those actors when I see like his acting role count is high. It's at, like 149 at the moment. But you know that that's a fraction of his actual portfolio. Like I'm, like we mentioned, that that dubbing stuff isn't on his IMDb no. because they don't count dub German like different language dubbing in the same way all the time. But that is his career that we've managed to find. I'm sure a lot of our European listeners, our German listeners out there, can give us a deeper understanding of this man and his work and his general standing when it comes to the the, the culture and uh, in the arts. But I love this guy. I'm so... Look, I'm not a big lover of In the Beginning as a movie. Perhaps our watch, when we get around to it, will change that. But I, I like him in it. And it's one of those where, hey, if we had to make a whole movie so we could use this actor again, I'm fine with that because he is that <laughs> delightful of a presence. Really, one of my favorite Minbari performances. Your spirit is strong. And since I have now alienated everyone else, who would be your mentor? I will teach you myself. We'll begin your training tomorrow after the council has once again explained its wisdom to me. And you know what is also great? The next episode we're going to cover on Yum Yum Pod. On the next Babylon 5. Entitled Racing Mars. Tales of insidiousness. Garibaldi becomes part of a Stop Sheridan scheme. And Franklin's (laughs) mission to meet with resistance leaders on Mars is imperiled by an alien parasite. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Rachel was so excited to get to racing on Mars, you didn't even want to rate the episode. On a scale of yum being bad and yum yum being good, what does atonement get? It gets a yum yum. Yum yum. I feel like it's a foregone conclusion, so I kind of forgot that we hadn't already done it because we've done nothing but sing the praises of this episode. (laughs) I've gone a long way. From those days where I fell asleep during this episode to the days where I give this a yum yum. Yum yum. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast and our discussion. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't without you people. I mean, I would. I would still be here talking about Babylon 5. Hey, if I didn't have a microphone, I'll be talking to someone about it. Probably you, Rachel. But thank you all so much for tuning in and giving us a listen. If you are not following us on social media, you should. It's uh, We've got a lot of stuff happening on our social medias. We're on all of them practically under Yum Yum Pod mm-hmm. or Yum Yum Podcast. We include all of this in the description of our episodes, including our email address, which is... 
yumyumpod at gmail.com. And if you want a slice of that action that we plugged earlier, that being our Patreon, that is also linked in the description. Yum yum on Patreon. We would really, really, really pretty please, pretty please join our Patreon. We have a group Discord you can be a part of, as well as so much bonus content waiting for your ears to be filled with. We're talking about the Alien movie franchise. We've talked about space above and beyond. We are talking about so many things. You should not miss out on it. But we did miss out on something in this episode. There was no Londo. Nope. There was no... Oh, oh, no Jakar. Jakar did not show up. Oh, wait, no, no, he did. Silly what me. What are you on about? Silly Jakar me. Jakar he was, was here. here and he was bringing his YY. You're right. Well, how could I forget? Sorry, sorry. It's one scene. You I'm know so- why I forget? Because he didn't say goodbye no. in the way that he always does. No, no. In the he way just that did he that tradi- one what? time. Wait, what? This show's that got one wait, wait. time. The Babylon 5 is filled with one, consistency and continuity. That one time. Even the pleasure threshold TV came back in the we- season oh, yeah. five. Pleasure threshold has been ca- referred ra- ra- back to multiple ra- times. The gathering's canon. Yeah, I know, and so is the traditional non farewell of good eating to you. Good eating to you. Wir hissen die Segel und verlassen den Port der guten Hoffnung. Unermüdlich setzen wir die Reise fort. Durch hohe Wellen schneidet unser Kahn das Wasser in zwei. Wir schmecken das Salz auf unseren Lippen. In der Ferne sehen wir ein steinernes Schiff im Meer. Die Möwen immer über uns. Am Ende unserer Fahrt ist das Wasser so still und glatt wie nie. Das Schiff erhaben auf glatter See. Im Hafen angekommen sehen wir fünf Einfahrtstore. Doch für welches werden wir uns entscheiden? Yeah.